So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, and let's stand for the reading of God's word. And I'm just going to read through verse 10. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by our troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Let's pray. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word this morning? And would you help me, Jesus, to communicate the truth of your word? Father, we ask you, Lord, to speak to us today through the scripture. Help us to understand the scripture. Holy Spirit, come alongside the words on the page and, how, and, and, and illuminate and shed light on the truth of your word so that it brings transformation to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The holidays, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, they're a time, hopefully, where we can look back on our lives and we can reflect and remember and give thanks to God. How many, you know, maybe this week you just look back and you said, you know what, God, God's been good to me. That, that you can look back on your life and just see God's faithfulness and God's goodness on our lives. And, and, and I can say, because do you remember, you remember what it was like before you met Jesus? Anyone, you know, you, had, you can remember your life before Jesus and what it was really like? Remember what it was like when you were still in chains to that sinful lifestyle? Or remember what it was like when you were still addicted or when you were still hopeless or when life didn't have any meaning? And when you start to think about how it could be right now, but it isn't, that's the reason to say, you know what, God's been good to me. Amen? God has been good to me. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he, he is writing to his spiritual sons and daughters who live in the city of Corinth in modern-day Greece. In this chapter that I just read, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and, and Paul had lived in Corinth for three years. He had planted a church there. He had discipled people. He had, he had evangelized and won people over to Christ. He had preached. He had mentored. He had raised up sons and daughters in the faith in the the city of Corinth. But but after the Lord called him on his missionary journey to another place, after he left Corinth, there were there were false teachers that came in who and they came into town and they they did everything that they could to discredit Paul, to try to convince the people that Paul didn't give them the whole truth of the gospel, that Paul wasn't authorized to to teach or preach to them. So the letter of 2 Corinthians in particular is kind of Paul uh, making a defense. He's sort of defending himself against some of these false accusations from these false teachers. And he's trying to remind his spiritual children in Corinth that 
who he is and who they are because of Jesus. That's the context of 2 Corinthians. He's wanting to refresh their minds about the truth of the gospel. He's wanting to refresh their minds about where they used to be and where God has brought them to. He's wanting to refresh their minds of who Paul really is and that the lies that they have heard about Paul and the lies they've heard about Jesus are not true. And he's saying, remember... All the good things that God has done in you and through your life by the love of Jesus that I preach to you. Remember what God has done in your life through Jesus because I preached Jesus to you. Through his death, through his resurrection, and through his grace, remember Corinthians, God has totally transformed your life. This, Paul says, that's my ministry. That's what I did when I came and preached to you. It's what I have given to you. And so by the time you get four chapters in to this letter that Paul is writing, he's saying, listen, God has done some great things in your life. And he has done some great things because you become followers of Jesus. And he's done some great things through me and my ministry. But Paul is saying, I want you to understand and I want to clarify and be sure you know, I cannot take credit for what God is doing in my life and through my life. I can't take credit for any of it. It's not me, but Christ in me, Paul says. When I pray for people, Paul says, it's not me who heals them, Jesus heals them. When I preach to people, Paul says, it's not me that saves them, it's Jesus who saves them. Because Paul is making the case that in the grand scheme of things, when I compare my humble, simple life to the majesty and the greatness of who God is, I am just a fragile, common simple jar of clay who's been fortunate enough to be filled with all the treasures of God's goodness. Because this is what Paul has learned. As followers of Jesus, we are vessels filled with God's blessings. As followers of Jesus, we are vessels filled with God's blessings. Verse 7 says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we are like fragile jars of clay containing great treasure. This makes it clear that this power is from God and not from ourselves. In the scriptures, oftentimes you will find uh, places where you will read about our human lives being compared to simple vessels or, or earthen vessels or clay jars or clay pots. There's that whole metaphor in the Old Testament of God being the potter and us being the clay. And wherever you read in the Bible about clay jars or earthen vessels, it's just talking about these simple everyday pottery uh, articles that existed in every home in the ancient world. Uh, there was nothing special about these jars of clay. There was nothing inherently valuable. They were relatively inexpensive. They were relatively replaceable. They were common. They had little or no value. But a simple jar of clay that cost pennies could contain something priceless. Think about it. They might contain expensive oil, or expensive spices, or ointments, or medicines, or fragrances. Though the jars themselves had little to no value, what they contained 
was incredibly valuable. They might contain valuable grain or flour that every family needed to feed their children on a daily basis. So the pots themselves were not valuable, but they were useful. Think about it. They weren't valuable, but they were useful for containing something of great value. Let me put it this way. Today's equivalent of a clay pot is maybe a cast iron skillet. A cast iron skillet that, or a frying pan. Every good southern cook has a collection of cast iron skillets in their kitchen. Ours stay on the stove. We don't even put them in the cabinet. They are always on the stove at all times. We, it's almost exclusively all we cook with. And, and we have one in particular. I meant to bring it, but your pastor is not always uh, the most on the ball early in the morning. Um, but we have one in particular that's always on our stove. It's a 12-inch, maybe uh, cast iron skillet. There's no telling how old it is. And it belonged to Katie's grandma that they called Mozzie. And this was Mozzie's frying pan. This was Mozzie's cast iron skillet. And, and, and I think every Southern woman, y- y- y'all all have something in your kitchen that was grandma's, don't you? That's just something, too, that gets passed down. You've got the favorite spoon, or you've got a ladle that was grandma's, or you've got, you've got a, a fork that was hers, something special that gets passed down through the family. And Katie was telling me and reminding me again yesterday as I was going over my message about how Mozzie was such a good cook. And she has memories as a child of coming to her house at Christmas. It didn't matter what time they arrived for Christmas in Tennessee. It could be 11, 12 o'clock at night. When they walked in the kitchen, the kitchen table would be covered with the bed sheet and when they came in she would pull that bed sheet back and underneath that bed sheet there would be a spread fit for a king there would be pots and pans filled with all kinds of holiday uh, food and there would there would be Tupperware containers that probably or not even Tupperware maybe it was the country crock butter container but inside was some real good food inside of it you know what I'm talking about and so no matter what time of day and it was delicious didn't matter if it was late at night wee hours of the morning we were going to sit down and have a meal at Mozzie's house now here's the thing Mozzie's frying pan Maybe if you're a yard sailor, you can maybe get five bucks for it in a yard sale. It's in itself, there's nothing inherently valuable about a piece of cast iron. Here, that, that pan has never cooked anything. You can put your frying pan on the stove all you want. You can even turn that stove on and you can stare at it all day. It is never going to produce food for you because it's just a container the pan can't produce anything it's just a vessel what gives mozzie's frying pan value is not what it is what gives it value is whose it is and what it contains because it's just a vessel but when you put that vessel in the hands of a master cook this unremarkable, uncommon frying pan becomes a tool and it can become a container that can produce a meal that is out of this world delicious. It's got value because who it belonged to and what it can do. It's got value because what if it's been filled with over the years? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying we are all just pans in the hands of a man who knows how to cook. There's nothing special about us, 
but we're in the hands of the one who can do something with us and can fill us with something. And the blessing is, is that we get to be the ones that God uses to produce something glorious, something powerful, something life-changing inside of us. See, on my own, Paul says, I'm nothing. I'm empty. Left on my own, I will start to rust and decay. On my own, I am plain. I can't produce anything. I'm not even worth the $5 bill at a flea market. But in his hands, he can use something and do something great. He can fill you with his glory. His hands know how to keep you clean and maintain you so that you can be useful for his service. He knows how to clean me just right. He knows how to preserve me and sustain me. He knows how to use me and fill me with his goodness, with his spirit, with his blessing. But here's the problem, and it's a problem that Paul faced time and time again in his ministry. If you looked at Paul, if you saw him, his physical body, his physical appearance, if you had the opportunity to hear him preach, Paul doesn't look very blessed. This man looks like an old frying pan. He's been shipwrecked three times. I preached before. One shipwreck's an accident. Three times somebody's after you. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's been beaten multiple times. He bears on his body the scars from where he was whipped with the cat of nine tails, which was nine leather straps with glass and metal uh, tied to the straps so that it would rip your flesh off after you took the beating. He's been pelted with stones and left for dead. Probably and likely his face and body were deformed from fractures and scars over years of persecution and torture. Paul didn't have very much money to speak of. He didn't have home or land to speak of. He didn't have a wife or children. He didn't have a 401k. He didn't have any stock options. He didn't have an investment portfolio. His bank account was probably overdrawn. So Paul's critics came along after Paul left and they said to the Corinthians, they said, that's the guy that you want to follow? That's the guy that says he can tell you how to be blessed by God? This is who you call a spiritual father. They're saying Paul is a joke. He's saying that he's blessed, but look at him. He's saying that he's blessed, but look at his life. Look at what's happened to him. Look at where he's been. So these slick preachers in tailored suits and perfectly combed hair came along and they would try to convince people to stop following Paul because his life didn't look very blessed and start following me because I can show you how to have all of the great things that I have. But here's the truth that you need to know and that a lot of preachers won't preach. But I'll tell you and Brother Paul would tell you in the scriptures, blessings from God do not excuse us from suffering. The blessings of the Lord do not excuse us from sin. I wish I could tell you it did. It'd be a lot easier. But even Jesus promised in this world, people are going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have trials. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians verse 7. He says, we have this light shining in our hearts. We are like fragile jars of clay containing this great treasure. It makes it clear this great power is from God, not from ourselves. But watch how he shifts and he says, we are pressed on every side by troubles. I'm blessed, but I'm pressed on every side with troubles but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Watch this. 
through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. So in other words, when you have suffering, when trials come your way and you go and whine and complain to God, God is saying, uh, I know all about suffering. I, I've, I've been to the cross. I, I've, I've lived it. You're not experiencing anything that he hasn't experienced already. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. In other words, you go through trials, but you still have life in you. You're a testimony to the goodness of God. You're a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, we live, Paul says, under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Think about that for a second. Have you been threatened with your life lately because of your stand for Jesus? He says, yes, on daily, I'm under constant threat for, of my life, but I live in the face of death, and this has resulted in eternal life in you. In other words, Paul says, if I was afraid of dying, I never would have come to Corinth. And if I never come to Corinth, you would have never heard about Jesus. And if you'd never heard about Jesus, you would have died and burned in hell for all eternity. So I was unafraid to face death so that I could get to you and make sure that when you die, you go to be with the Lord. This is tough stuff Paul's preaching. It's biblical Christianity. We don't preach it a whole lot, but it's, it's in the Bible. He's saying, listen, the blessing of the Lord there's no guarantee that just because you follow Jesus, things are always going to be easy. There will be times in life when you're pressed on every side with trouble. I got good news today. You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> there will be times when you're perplexed. And what that means is you ever had those conversations with God? God, I'm living right. I love Jesus. I read my Bible most some days and I go to church some Sundays and I I you know I, I, I quit doing some of those things that I shouldn't do and I'm I, and so God if I'm doing everything right why does this stuff keep happening to me I'm perplexed is what Paul is saying am I the only one that's willing to say I've had that conversation with God he said yeah there's gonna be times where you're confused I'm doing the right thing, but the wrong things keep happening. There will be times where you might even be hunted down or knocked down by an enemy, a spiritual enemy. Sometimes Jesus, following Jesus, y'all, just puts a target on your back. The devil's going to come after you. The world's going to come after you. Even friends and family might come after you for your stance, your faith in Jesus. So don't get it mixed up. Listen, there are wonderful benefits to following Jesus. And I'm going to get to those in just a moment. But you need to know this. You need to know just because you said a sinner's prayer, just because you came to church some weeks, most weeks, every week, just because you prayed, just because you read your Bible, maybe some days, all, every day, that does not exempt you or me from trials and troubles and tribulations. Here's what I want you to get in your spirit this morning. I want, you to, I want you to really grasp this. Don't make your faithfulness to God dependent upon how much or how little trouble you experience in life. Let me say that again because there, there's some distraction. I want everybody to focus in. Don't make 
your faithfulness to God dependent on how well things are going in your life? Don't be a fair-weather friend to Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Listen, somebody needs to hear this. Stick with Jesus even when times get tough. Even when you're sick. Even when you're standing at the graveside. Even when you're walking through a hell on earth. Stick with Jesus. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, it rains on the just and on the unjust. In other words, whether you're living right or you're not living right, all of us have rainy days. All of us have clouds. All of us experience those rough days and those rough seasons. Until Jesus comes back, you and I, we still live in an imperfect and a fallen world. Sin still happens. Sickness still happens. Death still happens. Things go wrong. People act stupid. Kids do crazy things. The economy tanks. Inflation rises. Layoffs happen. Bad things happen to good people all the time. But Paul is saying that's true. That's reality. But none of that is a good enough excuse to quit living for God. And this is a man who isn't just talking about layoffs or wayward children. This is a man who's talking about living under a daily threat to his life. He says, it's not enough reason. Jesus already died for me. Jesus was willing to die for me, and I'm going to be willing to die for him. He says, whatever comes against you, none of it's a good enough excuse to quit Jesus. None of it's a good enough excuse to quit God. He said, I've been pressed on every side by trouble, but Jesus never let me get crushed. He said, I've been perplexed at all the crazy things that have happened to me. It doesn't make sense sometimes, but Jesus kept me from getting into despair. I've been hunted down, but God never abandoned me, he said. I've been knocked down, but, uh, but no one's ever been able to destroy me because I didn't quit on Jesus. I didn't quit on my relationship with God. And even through all this suffering, Paul says, I've had the joy I've had the joy of seeing hundreds, maybe thousands of people come to faith in Jesus and receive the hope of eternal life through Christ. So through it all, Paul says, I'm a blessed man. I'm blessed even though I might not look so blessed. I'm blessed even though I've been through the ringer. I'm blessed because God brought me through all of it. And I have the hope of eternity. Because Paul knows blessings don't excuse us from suffering, but instead blessings equip us for suffering. Bless us, blessings from God equip us and prepare us and empower us to make it through the trials of life. Blessings from God equip us and empower us to make it through the rainy days and the hard seasons. Blessings don't keep me from suffering. Blessings keep me when I'm in the suffering. They keep me close to him. The blessings of the Lord are what kept me sane when I should have gone crazy. The blessings of the Lord fed me when I didn't have food to eat. The blessings of the Lord sent me a friend when I felt lonely. The blessings of the Lord gave me strength when I was weak. The blessing of the Lord washed me up on the shore when I should have drowned in that shipwreck. The blessing of the Lord healed my body when that snake jumped out of the fire and bit my hand. The blessing of the Lord provided for me when I was helpless. The blessing of the Lord delivered me from the chains of a prison cell. This is what Paul is talking about when he says God will equip 
equip you for the trials. God will equip you to make it through the suffering. Yes, he says, I've had troubles and some trials and some tribulations. But if it hadn't been for the Lord who is on my side, I never would have made it out. I never would have made it over. When trouble came, he kept me. When trials came, he walked with me. When burdens came, he was my burden bearer and my heavy load sharer. I should have died in that sickness. I should have never gotten free from that addiction. I should have gone crazy from the grief. I should have still be depressed and be in bed. I should still be crippled by fear. But God, but God who was rich in his mercy and who saw this humble clay vessel and in his grace, he chose to fill me with his light and fill me with his love and use me for his glory. And even when I stand on the brink of death one of these days, this old body is going to wear out and get tired and the grave digger is going to get his shovel ready to dig my hole. Even in death, Paul says, I am blessed because I know that because of Jesus, that grave is not my final resting place. And that grave is not my final destination. Because for the believer, suffering can never win. Suffering can never win. Because even if that trial or that trouble or that tribulation kills me, I'm going to live. And I have eternity to look forward to. Look at the text again. Skip down to verse 16 where Paul says, that is why we never give up. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. You know, the older you get, the more spiritually strong you can get. Your body can get weak, but your spirit can get strong. Your body can get weak, but your heart can have the heart of a lion, even in old age, because you can be renewed every day. For Watch this. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our eyes on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. He says we've been filled with glory. That word glory, it means the weight and the full force of heaven. Inside of you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have the glory of God residing inside of us. We have the full weight and the full force of heaven and all of heaven's armies working on our side. So even when troubles come, this is somebody's promise today. Write it down, tweet it, hashtag memorize it. Paul says, our troubles are small and won't last very long. Our troubles are small. Pastor, my trouble is small. Do you know what's going on in my life? Yeah, I do. Or even if I don't, you tell me I'm still going to stick with what the word of God says. Because compared to the glory that is waiting for you, compared to the things God has in your future, compared to eternity, compared to the great reward that God has for you, if you stick with Jesus, your trouble's very small and it won't last very long. Mama put it this way, trouble don't last always. Listen. The time of trouble that you find yourself in right now, whether it's a family thing, whether it's a mental, emotional thing, a spiritual thing, I want you to hear this. Your trouble had a start date, and if it had a start date, it has an end date. If it had a beginning, it has 
an end. Your trouble is not eternal. Your trouble will not last always. Your trouble will not follow you all the rest of the days of your life. It has an end date. Don't despair and don't give up and don't quit. God has not stopped blessing you. In fact, it's because of the blessings of the Lord on your life that you've made it this far. And it's the blessings of the Lord that are going to take you out and take you out of that season of your life. Let's go back to the frying pan for just a second. Frying pan is no stranger to the fire. Frying pan, when it was created, it was forged in the fires. It was exposed to and created in a place of extreme heat. And every good southern cook, again, knows that sometimes your cast iron pan, it'll start to stick and it'll, the food will start to burn on the bottom of it, and you've got to do something to keep it in the best of conditions. And so what Grandma would do was she would take her cast iron skillet and she would get some oil. Hello. And she would get some oil and she would take that oil and she would rub it all over, inside and out of that cast iron skillet, on the handle, everywhere, covered in oil. Come on. Cover it in oil. Can I, can I put it? She would anoint that cast iron skillet with oil. Amen. And then the next thing she would do is she would expose it to extreme heat. She'd turn that oven on as high as it would go, and she'd put it in that oven, and, it would, and she'd cook an empty pan a couple hours, leave it in the oven. And something would happen when the oil on the pan went into the trial, went into the heat, I mean. <laughs> something happened when the oil and the iron were touching, and they were experiencing the heat together at the same time. The scientists call it polymerization. <laughs> polymerization. It is a chemical reaction that happens between the iron and the oil when it's exposed to extreme heat. And what happens is when it is exposed to that heat, the oil, listen, bonds to the pan. The oil creates this permanent bond to the pan in the heat. And so we do this because we want to make sure that no matter what I cook and no matter what happens and no matter what I do to this pan, there's still going to be that protective layer of oil on that pan. And so it's good for the pan to be exposed to the heat because when I do that, that pan becomes more useful to me. It becomes something I can use and something that can work for me. And so God sometimes will allow us to experience the heat of trials and tribulations. But if we will first allow him, his Holy Spirit, to come in and cover us and protect us, Actually, when we go through the heat and the fires of trials, when we come out, we'll be stronger and more useful than when we went in. Because we will have had an opportunity in the trial, in the tribulation, in the trouble, to bond to the Holy Spirit. To bond to God in a way that cannot be removed. In a way that can And every now and then, you got to do it again. 
after you've used it for a while, but every time you put that, that pan on the stove and every time you cook in it and you get some oil on it, every time you're exposing it to heat and exposing it to the oil, it's getting more and more seasoned so that a frying pan that's at least 50, maybe 100 years old that we have at our house is better than the day it was bought and the day it was made because it's been through the fire and it's been exposed to the oil and the oil has bonded to the pan and it's useful. And I wish somebody would understand what I'm preaching this morning, that you, when you go through the fire, if you've got the oil, the oil will help you get through the fire and it will make you a better, stronger, more protected person on the other side. So this is right from lodgecastiron.com. It says this reaction, it creates a layer of seasoning that, that uh, uh, is more molecularly bonded to the iron. And without this layer of oil, iron cookware would corrode and rust and become unusable. So you thought God was punishing you when he put you through the trial, but actually he was protecting you because he wanted to get you to a place where you were stronger and more prepared for what he had next for you. And so listen, don't despise the fire instead get you some oil come on because this is what the Lord told me this morning while I was praying for you the Lord just kind of spoke this he said everybody experiences the heat the question is do you have the oil everybody experiences the trials it everybody has rainy days everybody has trouble everybody we could all sit around and have a little pity party about how hard our lives have been and I might beat some of you at it <laughs> But at the end of the day, all of us have experienced it. The question is, what's going to bring you out and bring you out better on the other side is, have you got the Holy Spirit anointing and leading you and protecting you in the midst of the fire? God can take you through whatever trial you're in, and he can use that trial to make you more useful. This is another thing I feel like the Lord gave me as I was praying this morning for you. Somebody needs to hear this. You are anointed for the trial that you're in. You're anointed for it already. He would not have brought you into this season if he hadn't offered to prepare you for this season. So if it's a family thing, if it's a relational thing, if it's a mental, emotional thing, if it's a financial thing, listen, God has already equipped you for this season. He's already what uh, Blair just shared with us, the Lord gave her. He is already here, and he's already equipped you and prepared you for the season he's placed you in. If you have placed your life in his hands, then you have placed your life in them in a master at organizing and creating and, and doing. And so... When you place your life, when you place yourself in his hands, you can trust that wherever he puts you, he's going to bring about your good. Even if it's a little bit painful, even if there are times of struggle, even if there are times where you're perplexed, even when it feels times like you're pressured from every side, he has you in his hand. And if you'll let him, he'll anoint you with his Holy Spirit. And he will take you through the trial, not into it, but through it. And you'll come out a stronger, better, more protected, more secure believer if you'll not quit on him, but let him 
lead you and guide you and anoint you. Would you stand with me this morning? Pastor Katie's going to come. We are blessed as a church. We're blessed to live in a nation where we're free to have church. If you've got shoes on your feet, you're wealthier than probably a third of the world's population right now, if you just have shoes on. Some of y'all, you got 20 pairs of shoes in your closet. We are a blessed people. We ought to be grateful this morning for all that God has blessed us with. But blessings do not excuse us from the trials of life. You only have to look at, like, celebrity gossip to figure out that you could have everything in the world at your fingertips and still be in turmoil, still be depressed, still deal with things like suicide and eating disorders and addiction. So if, if, if in your mind blessing is equipped with, is equated to wealth, you've got the wrong idea. That's part of it. Yes, God does bless people with wealth. But you can have all that and still, because you're just not excused. You can be the strongest, best Christian and still go through trials. Got a friend this week. His, uh, he's dedicated his life to ministry and to um, reaching addicts. He was a former addict himself. He's been, served, been sober and clean and serving Jesus for 12 years. The last two years, him and his wife, their life's been hell. She's, her liver and kidneys have failed. Every couple weeks on Facebook, I'll see, well, she's in the hospital again. Please pray for her. Please pray for her. People that have dedicated their lives, gave up big jobs and big incomes to serve Jesus and do ministry and just sacrificed it all for the Lord. And, you, you know, in my mind, I'm perplexed, Lord. They've given it all, and they still go through this major trial, this major sickness. How does that happen? I don't know, and I don't have the answer to that. But this is what I know, that that family stayed faithful. And two nights ago, she got a liver and a kidney, surprisingly. The Lord brought them through, and she's doing great. It was a two-year hellacious journey to get there, but the Lord took him through. So you can be the best Christian and still go through trials. You can be the wealthiest person and still have issues. The question is, because we'll all go through the heat, do you have that relationship with God, that Holy Spirit anointing that's with you in the fire, that's with you in the season of trial and tribulation? The question is, turns up a little bit, are you going to quit? Or are you going to let him lead you through it? Because he'll make you better and stronger on the other side if you'll let him walk you through it. So today what I want to do is just open up the altars for a time of prayer. We've got anointing oil here and I just want to fulfill that word that the Lord gave to me. He said, do you have the oil? The, fight, the heat's on. Have you got the oil? And I want to pray over you the word that the Lord gave is that you are anointed for this season. He has equipped you and he has anointed you. You are here for such a time as this. You're in this season of your life. You're in that business. You're in that classroom. You're in that school building. You're in on that farm. You're in this church for this season for a reason. 
He's got you. He's going to bring you through it.